So welcome back. <coughs> Happy 2024. Bobcat. I caught a bobcat in New Year's Eve. I caught a bobcat in New Year's Eve. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Apparently it's good luck. So we're going to, um... We're going to go on Gaia, and we're going to do, listen to a, uh, <clears throat> what they have about Tesla. I remember somebody said that Tesla was from Venus. Look at Tesla's electric universe, Michael Leas. Our electrical bonds to the universe, ancient events in an electric universe, deep memories of Mars, synchronicity in the holographic universe, Saturn in the cosmic tail of humanity, spark of an electric universe, fractal holographic universe, Terry Billy Carson, Saturn, that's an electric universe. Modern understanding of ancient cosmology. How to change your universe. Sounds pretty cool. Holographic universe theory. The veil on deep space. Akasha. Hmm. Quantum leap to the other side. Human origin summit. Secrets for a long life. Conscious contact, hyperspace, Jerry Smith on harp, cosmic energy unbounded by time, the making of Thrive, Mike Foster and Kimberly Gamble, unearthly phenomena, prophecies for America, Tom Balone on alternative energy, scalar waves, and then well, they don't have anything about him himself. Project Pegasus revealed from science to God, and the secret geometry. Angels of Atlantis. The Lost Age of Saturn, Black Hole, Tower of 369, already heard that one, Living in a 5G World, Power Your Life, Co-Creating, I think, I think he was a deeply spiritual person. Life on the other side of the simulation. Hmm. Turning the human biofield Tesla technology. Hmm. Okay. Says how the alternating current technology developed by famed engineer Nikola Tesla found a new champion. Scientists 
Patrick there are Flanagan. certain people on this planet who seem to be exempt from the constraints of the rest of us in terms of their genius. Their mm -hmm. minds appear to fly unfettered into realms of discovery reserved only for those who have the ability to reach beyond the physical world. One of these people is Patrick Flanagan. Patrick was building Tesla coils and sophisticated ham radios by the age of eight, a device that allowed the deaf to hear by 13. And by 16, the men in gray suits started visiting his parents' house to procure his patent to his missile detonation detection device. What's it like being inside this kind of mind? Well, let's ask Patrick. Patrick, you're, you're almost frightening. You're so smart. <laughs> and the nice thing is you have the ability and a sense of humor to bring it down to our level so that you can actually help us understand some of these things I just introed to our audience a moment ago. And so I want to start out with you have something very unique in that you remember your life almost from the very beginning, your perceptions and thoughts, and even into other lifetimes, which we'll get into later. But let's talk about when you were just a little baby and realized it, I'm back. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. no, when I was a, um, I remember lying in my crib, mm -hmm. wiggling my toes, mm -hmm. looking at my feet and going, oh no, I have to grow this body up before I can get started again. And uh, uh, so, so I got started early. I bet you did. <laughs> okay, so when you got started, I mean, I just mentioned a couple of things. You were already well into your years as an inventor by the age of eight. But what happened even prior to that, when you were just a little kid, three to five years old, what, what were you doing? Okay, well, when I was three years old, my parents bought a um, ship's compass from an army, you know, war surplus place you know, from regular ship, and I held these tiny little screws, and they gave it to me to play with, and I was sitting on the floor, and they were talking just for a few minutes, and when they looked down, I had all the screws out of the compass, <laughs> and I had it completely apart, and I was trying to put it back together again. Okay, so there's yeah. the first sign. Uh, Tinker toys weren't going to cut it for you. No. Okay, so yeah. then you started fooling around with, wh when did you start becoming intrigued with kind of mechanical engineering and electricity? Oh, wow. <clears throat> when I was about uh, seven, mm -hmm. I, uh, first of all, I remembered who I was in previous lives. I came over with uh, electronic knowledge, electrical knowledge. And I started creating uh, uh, these things. And when I was eight years old, I was uh, I was already uh, I got my ham radio license, general class ham radio at license. Eight. Yeah, at eight. And I built um, all my ham radio equipment, designed and built it myself from uh, parts that I scavenged, and then. Um, went on from there. Well, so let me ask you something, and this is where we get into this delicate area of reincarnation for some people, for others like ourselves, it's just common, you know, it's a common yeah. part of our thinking. But when you were very little, you realized you were the reincarnation of, and, and we'll talk about how this was kind of yeah. uh, validated later, mm -hmm. of Nikola Tesla. Well, considering what you were doing and building Tesla coils, and you know, there's always the argument about reincarnation. Is somebody reincarnating as an entity, or are they simply able to tap into and bringing back all their knowledge? However, whatever a person's philosophy is on this, the fact is you had all the knowledge Tesla had, and he came in with it. That is true. Now, I built my first uh, Tesla coil when I was eight years old, and uh, I actually 
uh, Tesla worked with lower frequency range uh, in the uh, anywhere from 40 kilohertz to 500 kilohertz. And I built my first Tesla coil at uh, 14 megahertz in the ham radio band and was producing uh, four foot lightning bolts at 14 megahertz. And would you uh, tell, give us some sure. idea what that actually means? Uh, tell us what it meant to your neighbors. Okay, well. What happened is that I'd get up in the morning, uh, like way early, like uh, four in the morning, and I'd turn on my ham radio equipment and I'd communicate with people all over the world with it in the uh, 20 meter band. And basically uh, the neighbors, uh, all their alarm clocks went off, uh, mechanical alarm <laughs> clocks started going off. And one of the neighbors went to uh, rinse his mouth from the sink and he got a, a four inch spark off the faucet to his mouth. <laughs> and of course they knew who in the neighborhood was doing that. And they complained, you know, to the authorities and I had to uh, shut down my Tesla coil antenna. <laughs> I just try to imagine, what was your conversation with all these people around the world? Uh, theoretically, these were adults. Uh, at the age of eight, what were you talking to them about? Well, first of all, I, uh, I was able to really modulate my voice, and I didn't sound like a kid. <laughs> <laughs> they thought I was, uh, you know, uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, 18 years old or mm -hmm. something like that. And, and mm -hmm. I just you know, chat about all kinds of things with them. And uh, um, it, it was an awesome experience uh, being able to communicate with people all over the world. Well, I guess, what was the state of ham radio technology at the time? I mean, were you on the leading edge? Was your device oh, on the leading edge? Is it way beyond that. The, the people in, in Italy, for example, told me that my signal was so strong that it, that it was uh, overwhelming their receiver and that it seemed like I was next door to them with the one kilowatt transmitter and yet I was, you know, uh, a third of the way around the world from them. Um, and so, no, I, the, the technology I developed is way beyond anything that ham radio uh, even since has developed. Were you remembering these things and just kind of building them from your mind or because you already knew at that point of your previous, and you told your mother, hey mom, I was Nikola Tesla in my last lifetime and you were born 18 months after he died. Um, were you going back trying to find any kind of available diagrams from Tesla's no. time or were you just I'm remembering, yeah. you, were just, you just brought it all through yourself? I yeah. brought it all to myself. I didn't have to go back and research. I remembered uh, all of it. Mm -hmm. So let's talk, uh, can we go back and, and speak a little bit about in Tesla's time what was going on with the radio technologies, what was going on with Marconi and, and such, and where Tesla fit into that? <clears throat> well, first of all, Tesla invented radio, period. And Marconi there was a lawsuit, and, and Tesla won the lawsuit eventually, and is declared the inventor of radio. But that said, Marconi is the one who first implemented radio communications, and the British Post Office picked up on it. And, and they had radio communications uh, between all the British Post Offices. And you have to understand that human beings grew up in a period uh, in which 
let's say, all animals and all humans lived on Earth with no radios. And so when, when the Marconi system was implemented, uh, what happened is, is that people started getting sick from the radio waves. And what happened is, is that they began to uh, complain about it and uh, they wanted to kill Marconi. And Marconi had to have a large contingent of bodyguards around him all the time because of this. And, uh, and so now, uh, if you're born into radio waves, Wi-Fi, your, mm -hmm. your body, you're born into it, you live through it, and then you die, you never know any difference, right? I've never heard this part. Yeah. So if he was the one that was credited with it and they were trying to lynch what was happening to Tesla in the background then, I mean, essentially he was going under the radar, right? But at the same time, he also wasn't honored for that technology. Well, uh, that's right. But, you know, Marconi was an awesome, awesome uh, engineer on his own. I mean, we have to give Marconi credit for that. But basically, the, the whole thing is that radio waves, Wi-Fi, all these things affect us and interfere with us. Right. And so what we have to do is figure out ways of modifying the effects on the body so that they don't have a negative effect on us. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the things I've been doing this lifetime is working on things like that. You help create <clears throat> the, the very technology yeah. that was making people ill <laughs> and is still affecting us. And now you're looking at modulating, creating something to modulate, which yeah. isn't only a natural progression. I mean, sooner or later, mm -hmm. someone was going to learn how to harness this electricity and, and create technology from it. But, okay, so, yeah. <laughs> so Marconi, after, let, let's go on um, mm -hmm. a little bit in this Tesla okay. link because the other thing I found interesting is what happened when you, did you go to the patent office? What would, when you tried to mm -hmm. gain access to some of Tesla's papers, which mm -hmm. upon his death were spirited away right. by, no pun intended, by mm -hmm. Ralph Bergstresser, who was with the OSS, or it, which became the CIA, he had yes. those papers. Tell us the background of how you ended up meeting with him and what happened. Well, I wrote uh, a book called Pyramid Power, uh, published in uh, January 1973. And Ralph Bergstrasser was this guy who had uh, lectures at his house. Speakers would come over and he'd invite friends over. And so I'd go over and talk about Pyramid Power. And Ralph and I were talking about Tesla. And I said, you know, I was Nikola Tesla in my last life. And he said, uh, well, he said, well, guess what? I said, what? He said, when Tesla died, he said, I was with the first group that came in and took his papers out of a safe that, were, uh, yeah, that was in his hotel room. And he said, he said, if you were Tesla, then you would know what was in that safe. And he said, specifically, you would know about this uh, this uh, projected energy weapon which he developed and he said uh, what do you know about that and I drew him a diagram of it and he exact looked, exact diagram and he looked at it and said okay you were Nikola Tesla and um, and so 
uh, Ralph and I were, were good friends, but they they took all all the data out of the safe and and um, but I know all of it. I you know. Uh, yes, I, know I know you do. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, hmm. that's interesting too because um, at the t you know at the time this whole notion of past lives and claiming identities from the past, mm -hmm. especially from someone that high profile, you actually have kept that to yourself except for a couple of people until just the last couple of months. Well, because uh, I was so destroyed as Tesla, you have to understand that, that they destroyed me. Uh, my life was completely uh, destroyed by them. And, and I you, had, you, it still makes you very emotional. Oh, yeah. I can I, see your eyes. I have to keep it. A, I had to keep it a secret. And even this lifetime, I've been attacked. And, I know. You know. You've so, been through a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. So. It's very difficult. I mean, because you've been watched from such an early age. Yeah. Uh, you've had your technology stolen from you, your patents stolen from you, yeah. repeatedly, mm. and you know, so you've had to constantly reinvent yourself again. No pun intended. <laughs> and come up with new technologies so that you could keep yeah. yourself in the world and keep uh -huh. offering your services and. I've read about Tesla's life, and you know there are many documentaries out. If any of you have not seen or, or really done any research into Nikola Tesla's life, it would be worth doing so. This is one of the most fascinating people in modern history, and it, it's a very sad story. And he died yeah. alone. He died a broken person on a lot of levels emotionally. And so you came into this lifetime with a lot of trauma going on in your early life. You yeah. kind of came in where you left off. But with all that knowledge and genius yes. that you were able to bring through and help us now yeah. as a species forward ourselves. Now, I want to talk about something. Mm -hmm. You just talked about this particle um, mm -hmm. being a weapon. Right. Um, and I wasn't planning on going there, but let's, let's go ahead and get into it at this point before we go on the journey of your life. Sure. That electricity, while it was making people sick, it was also powering the planet. Okay? Well, wait a minute. I have to say that if they had implemented my system the way I had designed it, it would not make people sick. What happened? Um, I use scalar wave technology, and the scalar wave technology that I developed would not make people sick. And what happened is that the, um, the uh, 60 hertz power line the way it's used and the way it's transmitted, and the way radio waves have been uh, implemented, is is that the electromagnetic component is harming people and making them sick. But if they had implemented the way I had done it, then it would not make people sick. And so, but the way it is now, we we have to to fix that and and correct it. Do we have to essentially get rid of the old grid system that we have and create something entirely different, or can you ride a different kind of frequency over the existing grid? No, I can actually, I actually have the technology to fix what's happening right now. We can actually um, implement technology right now and, and heal people um, and protect them from Wi-Fi, from everything that's going on right now. Now, is this something that is in development 
because I, do I, I don't think I know about this particular technology no, I, just yet. I've developed it in the last six months. Okay, mm -hmm. we're going to get to that a little okay. bit later. Now, yeah. okay. <laughs> I knew you would have some kind of surprise. Okay. I thought I knew what you were working on, but mm -hmm. clearly not. Mm -hmm. Okay, so before we go into that in a later part of the conversation, mm -hmm. let's go back to what happened after the eight-year-old experiences, and, and you were continuing on, and you ended up building a device that allowed the uh, those who are deaf to hear and not through the normal auditory channels. A, what inspired you to begin working on this? B, was that simply an unintended benefit or consequence? What was that all about? Well, when I was uh, Tesla, one of the things that uh, I observed and it actually happened is that um, if you plugged up your ears while the Tesla coil was operating, you could actually hear the sound inside your head as if it was coming from inside your head. And a few deaf people came into my lab and could hear. They could hear what? The just, sound. Just the frequency? The, of the, the sound of the arc. The arcing, arc okay. Gap inside their head. And so um, I observed that, and of course, and so this lifetime, uh, what I did is I implemented that and developed what's called the Neurofoam when I was 13 years old. And I applied for a patent on it. And, uh, and the uh, patent office refused to give me a patent because they said it couldn't possibly work. And uh, so I eventually um, went through this from the age of 13 until I was uh, 19 years old. And I flew to Washington with my patent attorney. By then, I had enough money to implement that. Flew to Washington with the patent attorney. And, uh, and the patent office had a deaf employee uh, who hadn't heard anything for 13 years. And, and they brought him in. And they said, Anna brought my invention to the patent office. You see cartoons about people sitting in the patent office <laughs> yeah. with inventions. Well, I brought my invention to the patent office. And, uh, and they brought in the deaf employee. And they said, if you can make this man here with your invention, we'll give you your patent. And so I hooked it up to him, and he heard. Uh, they had a Maria Callas uh, record, which was this famous, you know, famous opera singer, um, you know, multi-range. Yes. Uh, and so, so they brought him in with a record player, and they hooked it up to my neurophone, and I played the Maria Callas for him, and he heard, and and he started crying, broke down in tears, and everyone in the patent office was crying, and, uh, and so they gave me my patent, and uh, so another, you know, wonderful event in my life. <laughs> Did yeah. that, were you specifically looking to restore mm. hearing to those who are no. deaf? What were you actually doing where you bumped into this? Well, the, the, the neurophone enables... Uh, is way beyond that. The neurophone right. isn't even for deaf people. I, that's what I thought. So yeah. when I when I read that part of your story, I wondered if that was just an unintended consequence. It balances the left and right hemispheres of the brain, and it increases uh, IQ. We we did a study with a device called a, 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 a neural uh, uh, analysis. 
lost this device that's actually used at West Point to uh, uh, measure IQ for officers candidate school, measures the neural efficiency of the brain. And basically what we found out with the Neurophone is it increases the efficiency of the brain, increases IQ. And so it's, it's way beyond the hearing device. In fact, my current Neurophones, uh, in order to, to, for deaf people to hear with it, it has to be extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. And uh, my current Neurophone is not that powerful. Mm -hmm. But what it does is it increases the efficiency of the brain and increases IQ. So somehow when it mm -hmm. was the application for the deaf, it was working with what? With an electrical system on some level to stimulate? How, how did it work? Did, well, does anyone even know how it works? Oh, sure. Okay, how does it work? I you, do. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So if you could tell us, yeah. how, how, how did that work? And, and again, speaking to seventh uh -huh. graders here, yeah. just a little bit of science. Sure. Well, basically, the, the left... The neural efficiency analyzer measures that what happens is that if you flash a strobe light in the eyes, uh, the left eye and the right eye both send signals to the visual part of the brain, and then you measure the uh, the uh, signal uh, in the brain when it arrives at the optical cortex okay and basically what happens is that that if you um, there's a time delay between the two eyes signal arriving at the same time and the higher the efficiency of the brain the shorter the time delay and what happens is is that if you increase the efficiency of the brain the I, the higher the IQ, the shorter the time delay between the two hemispheres. hemispheres right. Okay, so so what happened is is that the neurophone increases the efficiency of it to where, in fact, when my IQ was measured when I was uh, uh, 14 years old, uh, it was off scale. They couldn't measure my IQ. They said it was higher than any IQ ever measured. Well, and you'd been using your own device. Exactly, you did that's this, the point. And part of it was you didn't want to waste those hours, those downtime hours of sleeping. Didn't you want to try to increase your efficiency so you could learn yeah. almost 24-7? Well, when I was uh, uh, 14, uh, they measured my, uh, you know, my reading speed. And I could read 14,500 words a minute with 95% comprehension. Jeez. And not only that, but I have a... a photographic memory so I remember 95% of everything I read mm -hmm. completely and so the neurophone is what did that yeah and so I was given the neurophone yeah I, I don't believe I invented anything I believe it's all given this is to a me. good time to uh -huh. explain this part mm -hmm. of it please take some time yeah. we have about four or five minutes in this segment okay basically what I was taught is it, I mean what I what I feel 
is that I work really hard on things and I don't get them right. And then somebody feels sorry for me. And then uh, three days later or a week later, suddenly I get a download. And it's an instantaneous download of technology. It just pours in. And suddenly I know everything. I get circuit diagrams. I get everything. I get everything I need. And then I build it and it works. And so... So that's, uh, it's given to me, and I don't know who gives it to me, but I'm very thankful for it. <laughs> and this happens either, it can happen yeah. when you're awake, crossover time, or dream time, right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, but the point is that you are intending an outcome because you put the struggle into it in advance by working yeah. out whatever your normal, our normal, men, well, your normal mental mm -hmm. faculties would work through, right. even if it's not to a mm -hmm. positive conclusion, um, you'll still be working at it. So I think you can say when there's a clear intention, help always arrives. It's just with you, it arrives in this way. Yes, it does arrive in this way. Somebody said, well, Patrick, that's just how your brain works. You throw everything in and it computes and then spits it out. But I don't think that's the case. I think that somebody up there loves me and, and is helping me. And that's also mm -hmm. more or less what Tesla felt as well. Exactly. He, he knew that there was something flowing into and through his mind. I mean, you can almost look at the line, the mind as just a processing unit, really. That's what it is, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> you, uh, you got the patent on the Neurophone. Um, you started using that, that other people started using it for the the purpose of being able to learn continuously even using it in the sleep but there's something else i remember there was some kind of measurement on your brain waves and didn't you have oh. exceedingly high gamma which is normally the deepest state yeah. of like a deep buddhist meditation mm -hmm. or i went to uh, uh the uh, uh, mayo clinic and lectured when i was 17 years old and dr steve Farian, who brought in swami rama from the himalayas the first uh, the Himalayan Tibetan yogi ever measured, and and he had certain brain waves, and so when I lectured at at the Mayo Clinic, uh, he asked me to come back into his lab. He wanted to measure my brain waves, so he tested me out, and he said that my brain waves are identical to Swami Rama's, and that I was producing uh, 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 alpha, and you know beta, alpha, and delta waves simultaneously. simultaneously. That's not normal. And not only that, but I was my brain waves were off the charts that he had to readjust his machine because the signal was so strong that he had to turn everything down because it was about 10 times the normal strength of uh, ordinary signal. Yeah. Yeah. And that... that Mm -hmm. Just to explain, that's not normal. People don't operate at the same strength no. on those frequencies. Beta, usually mm -hmm. you're in task mode. We're, mm -hmm. we're here, I'm asking right. you questions in beta mode. Yeah. Alpha is that wonderful feel-good place mm -hmm. that we, we sink mm -hmm. into where life is good and we're in harmony. Mm -hmm. And you go into delta, really, most people are meditating, and that's like going into sleep time by then. That is and correct. you're doing all of them simultaneously. Yeah. And not only that, but uh, normally, let's say if if uh, if you're producing alpha waves and you solve a mathematical equation, you go into beta. 
okay? Right. Uh, the higher frequency brainwaves. But what happened with me is that no matter what he, what he did, what equations I did, what the mathematics I did, I was always producing alpha waves and always these delta spikes, which are your normal sleep waves. Yes. Which is also like your, your healing right. waves. And, and that was going on all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, we have a lot more to talk about. We're going to take a, a little break, just a couple okay. of minutes here, and we're going to come back and talk about your um, nuclear detonation detection device that uh, really started all the trouble in your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll be right back. Okay. We are back, and we have barely scratch the surface. We're still on the neurophone. And just a very, very quick recap on the neurophone before I ask you another qu question about it, which is, so it, it syncs up, puts into harmony the right and left hemispheres of the brain, right? Yes. Okay. And once that happens, everything becomes more efficient in terms of our functioning. Would that include even our body's immune systems, our senses, not just our uh, intellectual capacities? Yes. Okay, that's the short answer. We'll, okay, good. And so we, I'm not going to ask you to explain the science of it because I don't think I would even understand it. So, um, But I do want to say, at this point, people are listening and probably are in the British term gobsmacked. Their mouths are hanging open. Who is this fellow? Why doesn't everyone know your name? Why aren't you a gajillionaire? So let's talk about the gajillions of dollars part of it. So in 1962, okay, not surprisingly, you ended up in Life Magazine at a very early age as part of the new brain trust of the planet. With your inventions, the neurophone was already well established. You received an offer to become, in those days, what would have been almost a gajillionaire. And you were 17 years old. Can you tell us what happened? I was offered $8 million uh, to develop the neurophone for deaf people. And... Uh, it was at that point that the government put the patent application under secrecy. And because it was under secrecy, why that deal fell through. Why was it put under a secrecy patent? Uh, first of all, um, they decided that um, the neurophone might have military uses. And because it might be used to program people. And so the result of that is is that uh, they they put it under secrecy, and it took uh, you know what seemed like forever to get out. Uh, in fact, I um, I received an award with um, uh, Doctor Edward Teller. Oh, this is a golden yeah. plate. Mm -hmm. This is very right. Please talk about that. Yeah. That is a, an amazing achievement. When I was uh, 17, uh, I received the Gold Plate Award, which uh, in San Diego, and we went out there. And Doctor uh, Edward Teller, who developed the atomic bomb, and uh, <laughs> and the director of the CIA, uh, Admiral Red Rayburn, who developed the Polaris submarine, and I were all receiving the same award together, and. Um, and so we're all sitting around the same table, and Murray Gell-Mann, who, who developed the uh, technology for uh, 
uh, DNA replication of viruses, and we're all getting the same award together. You I know? mean, I, when I look at that, I see a comedy where they have uh, a lineup and they're panning <laughs> across the faces of the dignitaries, and there's a blank spot, and they go down here, <laughs> and there's Patrick. Exactly. Well, now that's uh, it has some fine company. I mean, that's it prestigious was, company. Is. Okay, now the Neurophone, mm -hmm. they said that they had yeah. to sequester this because it had potentials to program brains. Yeah. So, so uh, the director of the CIA, who later, later became director of NSA, Admiral Red Rayburn, he said, son, we want to give you a scholarship to go into many colleges and universities <laughs> in the world. Don't worry about getting in. We'll get you in study as much as you want and when you graduate we want you to work for the cia for five years and then we'll let you go and you do what you want to do and, and by then i was making 17 i was making more money than my father and so i didn't need the money and so i said uh, no thanks and uh then uh, you didn't uh, understand the implications of that well, I kind of did. Somebody said if you go to work for them, they'll never let you go. Right. I mean, there's no way they're going to let you go in five years. But but what happened is is that I uh, uh, read Rayburn then, Admiral Rayburn said, uh, well, I'll tell you what, son. He said, um, how about we do a favors program? And I said, what's that? And he said, you need us to do something for you, we'll do it. But then you owe me a favor. Oh. And then you do something for me. And so we'll work on favors. And he said, you call the CIA and you leave a message for me and I'll call you back within 24 hours. And, and uh, so I'm having trouble with my patent and I called the CIA and I uh, this voice sounded like it was from the deep hole, and, and the voice said, uh, what can I do for you? And I said, uh, I want to leave a message for Red Rayburn. Never heard of him. I said, he was director of the CIA. Still never heard of him. <laughs> I said, okay, well, uh, he told me I could uh, leave a message here, and he called me back. The voice said, you can leave a message for anyone here. I just can't guarantee you that they'll call you back. <laughs> I just said, okay. So I left a message, and and, uh, and Rayburn uh, called me back. And I said, okay, here. I got my patent in this thing here, and I want it back. He said, okay, no problem. He said, I'll get it back for you. The Neurophone patent. My Neurophone patent. He got it back. And then he said, now I want a favor from you. And I said, okay, what's that? Among many favors. Uh, he wanted a high security speech scrambler because the Russians were decoding everything that, that, that they uh, were transmitting. So I designed and gave him the technology for uh, a high security scrambler that nobody could decode. The Russians, nobody could decode it. Oh, now, at what age are you at this point? Uh, Twenty. About twenty. Okay. Nineteen. Mm -hmm. You you now by this time you've almost reached adulthood. Yeah, almost. <laughs> and uh, so um, so I did that, and like I say, we did a program of favors for each other, and it worked out really well. And um, you know, favors aren't a bad thing. 
Yeah, not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So you got your neurophone back. Yeah. They said oh. that, yeah. I'm sorry, but when he gave me my patent back, he didn't tell me they were going to let me do anything with it. And then they spent, uh, they, uh, they spent all these years keeping me from putting it on the market and sabotaging me and everything else. I mean, just because I got it back didn't mean I could do anything. I mean, okay. it, it was, you know. Well, what they said, that it had the, mm -hmm. it had the potential to program minds. Mm -hmm. Well, A, I would think that's something yeah. they would have been very interested in, knowing about some of the Black Ops projects, and it probably was used that way. Mm -hmm. um, just think about all the okay, deaf people. The all the deaf people who could have, who could have benefited from this invention. And... You know how much it would have raised our IQ as a as a society, but the fucking CIA, which was started by the fucking Nazis, and Operation Paperclip. You know they always gotta, they always gotta hold us back. The money they offered you. Mm -hmm. What happened when they offered you all that money for your your device and the patent on it? Well, what happened is because my patent was... Uh, because under, it was hung up under the secrecy. Hung, hung yeah. up. Uh, I couldn't get it back, so that offer faded away. Okay, so away. that, that mm -hmm. faded away. Okay. Yeah. I want to get on to um, mm -hmm. the science fair in Houston and what happened. Mm -hmm. Now, this is part... We're going back in yeah, time a little okay. bit. You know, you've already, you've already put the neurophone out there in the world. It's gained a lot of attention. He's got his uh, right hand now, on the table there's flat. there's a science fair in Houston. Mm -hmm. And... His left hand on his <laughs> What in the world leg. made you? I'm 12 years old. What made you? What made you create this? Like a new? It's a nuclear detonation detection device. Why did uh -huh. you do that? A and then tell yeah. us what you did. We moved to Houston from Montana. My father was an oil scout for Shallow Oil Company, and we moved to Houston three months before. And they said uh, there's this big science fair, all grades, college, all the way down. And if any of you have a science fair project you'd like to do, so I thought about it, and, and I built a guided missile detector, which I had <laughs> in mind all this time. All this time, you were 12. I mean, how long yeah. had you been thinking that one over? Oh, maybe a year. <laughs> uh, okay. And so I, I built this, uh, this device, and I was detecting all the... Uh, the new the missile firings, ICBM firings, and the nuclear detonations all over the world, and I made a list of them when they went off and where because I could I could pinpoint where they went off to, and uh, I won the entire science fair, you know, all, <laughs> the whole thing, and uh, so I'm sitting in class on Monday, and uh, principal comes on the um, <laughs> speaker system on the speaker system and says. Well, Patrick Flanagan, come to my office immediately. The <laughs> Pentagon is on the telephone. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, so, <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so I go, go to his office, and uh, the five-star general from the Pentagon's on, and he says, son, we want to know how you know all our secrets. And I said, well, I do with my little guided missile detector. And uh, so they, they sent a whole team of uh, scientists down from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and they took my, my device away. <laughs> and they told me, uh, promised me I, I could become an astronaut. 
Something. Never a straight but answer. Anyway, the the end result was it uh, of it was that uh, uh, a lot of intrigue in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. was there a reason you built that device to begin with? I'm always wondering why did you put your time and energy? Why were you curious okay. about it? Well, I had this idea, <laughs> you know, a vertical antenna and radio. Um, what happened is that when an atomic bomb goes off, it creates an ionized gas plume that goes straight up into the heavens and super ionized uh, gas plasma. And these plasmas are oscillating and it's got all these minerals in it and they're all transmitting energy frequencies. And so I, divided, I developed a device that would detect those frequencies. But why? You just wanted to know what was happening, or why did you decide to do it? What was your what was your impetus for it to begin with? Yeah, I wanted to know when they were firing these things okay, off. Okay, great. And you just I wanted was, to know. Yeah. Okay. And the same thing with uh, with an ICBM missile when it takes off, it does the same thing. Okay. Only the signature of the two plasmas are different, so you can tell the difference between an atomic bomb and an ICBM missile. Okay. And so. Uh, you, you can detect instantly when any kind of missile fired, you know, using this technology. And so, so I detected it, and, uh, and the rest is history. <laughs> okay, so they came and they took your device, yeah. and they, uh, I talked to you several years ago, and I thought I heard mm -hmm. you say back then that you were on the verge of having them return the patent to you, or something like that. Did I mishear you? It was a casual conversation. Did you ever get the patent back? Oh, yeah. You got the patent back, uh -huh. but they meanwhile developed that technology and utilized it. Oh, yeah. No, they, they're, they're using that technology for mind programming. <laughs> Absolutely. Fuck well, me. wait a minute. That's the neurophone. The neurophone. The neurophone. Oh, you're the talking detection, about... The nuclear detection device. Oh, no, no, no. First of all, it wasn't patented. Right. I didn't apply for a patent. I was 12 You were 12. Old. Okay, so they got that one, and then yeah. they t they kept the mm -hmm. neurophone away from you for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, that is part of what we call, some some people refer to it as the MK Ultra mind control programs and so forth. Absolutely. The neurophone, The neurophone is used as part of the uh, conditioning of the people. Yes. Of the, of the sleepers, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. It can also be used to fix it. <laughs> That's the, the, the double-edged uh, sword of the uh, neurophone. It can be used to program, it can be used to repair programming. So let's say, mm -hmm. let's take a normal You gotta person. fucking use it for it bad purposes. Maybe unproductive mental programming going on. Maybe your mind is going in certain loops. It's got it's patterned itself toward a certain loop mm -hmm. of thinking or something right. negative. The neurophone. Do you have to have a specific uh, like audio program or intention with it, or does it in and of itself start rebalancing the brain so that that disappears? The neurophone in and of itself balances okay. the brain. Um, that said, there are 
audio frequencies and signals that we can put in to increase that. How does this dovetail with Monroe's technology and how do you think? Bob Monroe was a good, good friend of mine for years. And uh, um, the problem with hemisync is that it actually throws the brain out of balance. Okay, because, sure, how's that? Um, you know, it's interesting that Bob, on one hand, says that if, if a person can only hear in one ear and you pulse the one ear with the hemisync frequency, just one ear, that it entrains the brain. Yeah, but when, when, you, uh, when you have two different frequencies coming in both ears, what happens is that it throws the brain out of balance. And, um, and so hemisync would be fixed if you just combine the signals together and put the same signal exactly the same in both ears. You get the same, same thing, but better because it's now balancing the brain. Interesting. So is it like a binaural beat of some kind? Instead of the binaural beat, you combine the two channels together yeah. and, and beat both ears with the same sound instead of one in one ear, one in the other. Interesting. Uh-huh. I have a few hemi-sync CDs, you know, they're fun to listen to, but actually I could be putting myself a little bit out of balance. Well, they do. Saying, what yeah. they do is they throw the two, uh, two brain hemispheres <laughs> out of balance. Okay. Okay. Just for a point of clarity, I just wanted to know your take on that. Yeah, and you can fix it. Okay. Uh, all you do is take the hemi-sync signal and you, you combine the two channels into one and then feed it into your system. Into both ears simultaneously. Yeah, both ears simultaneously. Oh, interesting. Okay, all right. Well, I just want to know that. Now, you're, what happened? You were on the cover of a couple magazines. Did you also have Time do an, issue, uh, an article on you at one point? Yeah, Time Magazine did an article on me. So you're in your 20s at this point. Yes. And now mm -hmm. you've written the book Pyramid Power. So let's just, so we're going, we're mm -hmm. moving through your detection ah. device. We're moving right. through the neurophone. Okay. Now, how did you end up in, uh, sharing the secrets of the functions of pyramids mm -hmm. with the public in your book Pyramid Power? The, new, uh, millen the new Millennium Science, I think, is the subtitle, something like that. Well, that was a, a later... Uh, copy just pyramid power okay there was pyramid power 1973, 1973 almost 40 1973, years ago right and uh, so um pyramid power um what i did is is i began researching orgone energy wilhelm reich's orgone mm -hmm. energy and i did a lot of research on that and then then um I read a bunch of stuff on pyramids, so I built pyramids and developed uh, some different pyramids, orgone pyramids and things like that, and developed this further, and really, really got into it. So I published Pyramid Power, and the, uh, by the way, no one, no one would publish it. I couldn't get a book company to publish it, so I borrowed five thousand dollars. Uh, and I published uh, self-publishing, and it became an international bestseller hit. And I sold one and a half million copies of it. That's amazing. I mean, you would think yeah. that just now we're looking at people in the New Age movement mm -hmm. the last 20 years, but uh -huh. actually 40 years ago, some people even say your book helped kick off that whole realm of new thinking. Yeah. My son says I started the new age. <laughs> <laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we're, we'll talk about this a, a mm -hmm. little bit more in detail uh, in a bit. But essentially, 
I, I remember having a copy of the book years ago and trying to read it. <laughs> there yes. were, I, it was hard for me to understand. I mean, there was mm -hmm. a lot of science and math and to the point where I was really having to stretch myself mm -hmm. um, to understand what you were saying. So maybe, again, speaking to a seventh grader, what were you, in, what were you showing us in that book? The rooms we're in, the chambers we're in, all have resonance. Um, if you take a room, it has a length, a width, and a height, okay? And if you, if you take the length of the room and the width and the height, uh, there's three different measurements and therefore three different tones that they're resonant to. So they form a three-note chord. And some three-note chords sound harmonious. Some of them, uh, if, if you bring them into the level where you can hear them, are disharmonious. This is just a mathematical ratio. It's a mathematical reflected ratio. Reflected in sound. Okay. Exactly. And so basically what we want to do is we want to make sure the environment we're in and the rooms we're in uh, resonate at frequencies that are harmonious uh, other than the sound of, of, of fingernails on a blackboard. Okay, so in a normal mm -hmm. room, if you're just in a normal rectangular yeah. box or, or, or right. a square room, what is that often resonating? Depends, Depends on the, on the exact of dimension. The okay. Yeah. Literally. Le, Le Cor Corbusier and Frank Lloyd Wright knew this, mm -hmm. and they built their rooms so that they, they actually would take musical strings, uh, you, you know, uh, the length, width, and height of rooms, and they would they would twang them at the same time and listen, you know, to the to the uh, sound. Mm -hmm to see, you know, they, they might make them shorter so that they're in our normal hearing range. Mm -hmm. But then they would listen to the rooms and they would adjust them so that they produced a harmonious sound. Okay, what about Steiner? What about the whole notion of, you know, Rudolf Steiner's work where um, he didn't believe in right angles? I mean, to the point where paper corners are cut off in the early grades of the Steiner education and oh. Waldorf schools and having no right angles and lots of rounded and vaulted spaces. Oh, yeah. You know, Steiner was awesome. Uh, right angle corners produce discordant energy. You know, everywhere you have the right angle corners in rooms. Uh, way back, I built uh, triangles that go in the corners, they round the corners off, and I used to sell them years back in the 70s. So you could place them in there. Um, and it would it would essentially erase the effect of that discordant energy exactly. in that room. Yeah. Interesting. So you can ameliorate these things through technology. I mean, it's not like you have to have your house raised That's and start right. over you again. Don't. You can. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, if we're looking at say dome shapes, what was that again? you know how the old cathedrals and often you know the vestibule or the foyer, yes. yeah, mm -hmm. and 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 cathedrals, you I'm have these domes, even Thomas Jefferson's home and such. The, what is the frequency of having being under a dome space for some things? But anyway, the the end result was it uh, was that uh, uh, a lot of intrigue in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, want to hear the skin? Was there a reason you built that device to begin with? I'm always wondering why did you put your time and energy? Why were you curious okay. about it? Well, I had this idea, you know, a vertical antenna and radio. Um, what 
happen is that when an atomic bomb goes off, it creates an ionized gas plume that goes straight up into the heavens and super ionized uh, gas plasma. And these plasmas are oscillating and it's got all these minerals in it and they're all transmitting energy frequencies. And so I, divide, I developed a device that would detect those frequencies. But why? You just wanted to know what was happening, or why did you decide to do it? What was your, what was your impetus for it to begin with? Yeah, I wanted to know when they were firing these things okay, off. Okay, great. And you just I wanted went, to know. Yeah. Okay. And the same thing with uh, with an ICBM missile. When it takes off, it does the same thing. Okay. Only the signature of the two plasmas are different, so you can tell the difference between an atomic bomb and an ICBM missile. Okay. And so. Uh, you, you can detect instantly when any kind of missile is fired, you know, using this technology. And so, so I detected it, and, uh, and <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> okay, so mm -hmm. they came and they took your device. Yeah. And they... Uh, Pentagon took us. I talked to you several years ago, and I thought I heard mm -hmm. you Toy say away. back then that you were on the verge of having them return the patent to you or something like that. Did I mishear you? It was a casual conversation. Did you ever get the patent back? Oh, yeah. You got the patent back, uh -huh. but they meanwhile developed that technology they, they and utilized uh, it. Oh, yeah. No, that doesn't, they, they, that doesn't they're using really that technology for mining programming. Absolutely. Give it back. Wait, we wait, can't that's use it. Neurophone. The neurophone. The neurophone. Oh, you're the talking detection, about the nuclear detection device. Oh no, no, no. First of all, it was a patent. <laughs> right. I didn't apply for a patent. I was 12 years old. You were 12. Okay, so they got that Why one. Why can't you they, just redesign the, the patent so that it's just yeah. for yeah, I, uh, helping? That is part of what we call some people to refer to it as the MK Ultra mind control programs and so forth. Absolutely. The neurophone. The neurophone. <laughs> as part of the uh, conditioning of the people, yes. of, the, of the sleepers, whatever you want to call them. Yes. You can also change the patent, alter the patent. <laughs> That's the, the, the double-edged uh, so sword of the uh, neurophone. It can be used to program, it can be used to repair programming. So let's say, mm -hmm. let's take a normal person that has just your usual um, maybe unproductive mental programming going on. Maybe your mind is going in certain loops, it's, got, it's patterned itself toward a certain loop of thinking or something right. negative. The neurophone, do you have to have a specific uh, like audio program or intention with it, or does it in and of itself start rebalancing the brain so that that disappears? How's that work? The neurophone in and of itself balances okay. the brain. Um, that said, there are audio frequencies and signals that we can put in to increase that. How does this dovetail with Monroe's technology and mm. HemiSync? Bob Monroe was a good, good friend of mine for years. And uh, um, the problem with HemiSync is that it actually throws the brain out of balance. Okay, because, how's that? Um, you know, it's interesting that Bob, on one hand, says that if, if a person can only hear in one ear and you pulse the one ear with the hemisync frequency, just one ear, that it entrains the brain. Yet, but when, when, you, uh, when you have two different frequencies coming in both ears, what happens is that it throws the brain out of balance. And, um, and so hemisync would be fixed if you just combine the signals together and put the same signal exactly the same in both ears. 
you get the same same thing, but better because it's now balancing the brain. Interesting. So is it like a binaural beat of some kind? Instead of the binaural beat, you combine the two channels together and and beat both ears with the same sound instead of one and one or one and the other. Interesting. I have a few hemi-sync CDs, you know, they're fun to listen to, but actually I could be putting myself a little bit out of balance. Well, they do. What they do is they throw the two two brain hemispheres out of balance. Okay. Okay, just for a point of clarity, I just wanted to know your take on that. Yeah, and you can fix it. Okay. Uh, All you do is take the hemi-sync signal and you you combine the two channels into one and then feed it into your system. And so eat both ears simultaneously. Yeah, both ears simultaneously. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. Well, I just want to know that. Now, you're, what happened? You were on the cover of a couple magazines. Did you also have Time do an, issue, uh, an article on you at one point? Yeah, Time Magazine did an article on me. So you're in your 20s at this point. Yes. And now you've written the book Pyramid Power. So let's just, so we're going, we're moving Mm -hmm. through your detection Ah. device, we're moving through the neurophone. Now, how did you end up uh, sharing the secrets of the functions of pyramids with the public in your book, Pyramid Power? The new uh, Millennium Science, I think, is the subtitle, something like that. Well, that was a a later uh, copy, just Pyramid. Hey, I was um, <clears throat> listening to this other Tesla podcast I did on Tesla technology on Gaia, and this thing popped up. It's a history channel. Um, what did pop up? It like Gaia opened up its own accords, and no, no, no. I mean, uh, YouTube did, and. Look at that, I need some lotion. Or, um, coconut oil. Or, um, yeah, coconut oil. Okay. So, I I pulled up this history channel, Tesla, Mysteries of Tesla, uh, that that popped up. And then, when I went to start my podcast to catch this because it seems to me like you know that's a sign that from the universe signs from the universe that tesla is telling i I mean wants me to see that see that um we just listened to wilhelm reich which uh i think what i would love to do is write a be a part of a team of people to write a I'll even like, you know, pay me to put together uh, a, uh, this is a good pitch, uh, maybe like uh, to Johnny Depp for a film. Okay, uh, Wilhelm Reich film. And I, uh, you know, pay me, pay me, uh, what, 100,000, 100K. Give me 100K and I'll get write a, uh, a draft script. That's a good idea. He could, I'm sure he could part with a hundred thou, my ex. (laughs) I dumped him because he wouldn't forward my stuff, man. He thanked me for uh, defending him, basically, uh, in my TikTok videos, explaining in the early stages of the Scamber Turd trial, 
you know, what was going, really going on. Wow, what a, she's, she, I think, oh shit, she is, it just, this just switched, I touched it and it changed my just touch from, um, uh, a more interesting title to frivolous, no merit, Trump's, I mean, Diaper Don's legal defenses instantly fizzle in his face. Yay. Um, but no, there was a better one. A better one. Somehow, oh. Frivolous, no merit. No, I wanted to, I wanted to see the other one. Him. Menadia is ready now to tear diaper down into pieces. Nice. Diaper Don faces total meltdown in New York. Legal hell is here. <laughs> nice. That's going to be good. Trumpocalypse. Nice. Trumpocalypse. Based on the calendar events that are coming up in all of the cases against him. Civil criminal the attempts to keep him off the ballot civil fraud case to take away his business empire defamation cases and the like all of it all compressed all coming to a head chickens all coming home to roost in january let's kick it <laughs> off let's start with the civil fraud case people have now forgotten about because it's over uh two weeks since the close of evidence we're going to final briefing and oral argument closing argument in the what I think is a $500 million to $750 million civil fraud case brought by the New York Attorney General against Donald Trump, all his companies, and all the executives, right. including many that have Donald Trump's last name. That is now come. Evidence is closed. Witnesses are done. Experts have been Bring scoffed at by Judge Angoron. And now he's allowing final briefing. Great. Remember, Bring there's on been the five heat. attempts by Donald Trump to get the case dismissed on a directed... LOL. Great. <laughs> BTW minus mighty. Please get me on the ballot. Just the press. Okay. Judgment all rejected. Great. Last said, attempt. So great, Michael. Bring on the heat. I confess I didn't know what Schadenfreude was all about until this mofo came along. BTW Midas Mighty, please help me get on the ballot. Christopher Perez, Trump for prison. <laughs> okay. Hold up. All of it. All compressed, all coming to a head. Chickens all Trump coming apocalypse. home to roost in January. I like it. Let's kick it off. Let's start with the civil fraud case. 
people have now forgotten about because it's over uh, two weeks since the close of evidence. We're going to final briefing and oral. Games. Isn't that what the uh, Roman emperors? <laughs> argument closing argument in the what i think is a 500 million to 750 million dollar civil fraud case brought by the trump new york attorney general against donald trump all his companies and all the executives including many again, michael popak legal yeah. af this might be my favorite hot take of this week i'm going to call it trump apocalypse <laughs> january style this is the month of january for donald trump based on the calendar events that are coming up in all of the cases against him, civil, yeah. criminal, the attempts to keep him off the ballot, civil fraud case to take so away exciting. his business empire, defamation cases, and the like. All of it, all compressed, all coming to a head, chickens all coming home to roost in January. Let's kick it off. Let's start with the civil fraud case people have now forgotten about because it's over uh, two weeks since the close of evidence. We're going to final briefing and oral argument, closing argument in the what I think is a $500 million to $750 million civil fraud case brought by the New York Attorney General against Donald Trump, all his companies, and all the executives, including many that have Donald Trump's last name. That has now come... Evidence is closed. Witnesses are done. Experts have been scoffed at by Judge Angoron. And now he's allowing final briefing. Remember, there's been five attempts by Donald Trump to get the case dismissed on a directed judgment, all rejected. Last attempt, let's go with the final set of briefing on the 5th of January with an oral argument or closing argument to be heard. We'll cover it here on the Midas Touch Network on the 11th of January. But that's not all that Donald Trump has to focus on, whether after the 11th of January, sometime in the rest of the month of January, Judge Angoron issues his ruling about whether there is persistent fraud in the operation of Donald Trump's businesses. Therefore, he's able to completely eradicate those businesses, dissolve them, put them out of business, take $750 million or so away from Donald Trump, should he have it, um, and also ban and bar Donald Trump and his executives and family from ever serving in office again as an officer or director, uh, not allowing them to transact business in New York, take out bank loans, sell real estate, and the like. That's what's up for grabs with a ruling by uh, Judge Angoron, which we expect during the second or third week of January. Hold that on the calendar. Now, let's move on to the uh, oral argument and the decision-making around whether Donald Trump can claim presidential immunity to have his criminal case dismissed in the District of Columbia and ultimately have impact maybe even as far as the Georgia prosecution. What's happening there? January the 8th, right in the middle of the briefing in the civil fraud case and the oral argument in the civil fraud case, Donald Trump's lawyers, and they overlap, it's almost the same group of lawyers, are going to have to get ready for oral argument on a fully briefed issue before the D.C. Court of Appeals as to whether Donald Trump has presidential immunity or not. After that's over, we expect a ruling within 72 hours based on the velocity at which the D.C. Court of Appeals um, is focused on this case and the need to keep the March trial of 
a criminal trial of Donald Trump on track. So by the, I would say, the 11th or 12th of January, there's going to be an attempt to appeal to the United States Supreme Court. They're going to decide on writ of certiorari during the month of January. Briefing and oral argument could happen in January as well, just as the civil fraud case ruling taking away $500 million or more comes out in New York. But we're not done. Because while we have all of that going on, there is a trial that Donald Trump's going to be on in the middle of all this. He doesn't just get to sit home and, and do social media. He's going to have to put on a suit and tie and maybe even pants and show up in a courtroom in or not. Uh, in New York, in the federal courthouse, Southern District, New York, in a case presided over by Judge Kaplan. It's the E. Jean Carroll case all over again. She already beat Donald Trump and was vindicated in May of this past summer in a case in which it was proven by a jury in New York that Donald Trump raped or sexually assaulted E. Jean Carroll in 1996, and they awarded her, that jury awarded her $5.5 million. Now a new jury is going to de determine if Donald Trump uh, in his comments that are very, very similar, identical, caused her substantial damage when he was president of the United States. The last trial was about comments he made when he was not president of the United States, but the judges already ruled that these comments are defamatory about her, and the Second Circuit Court of Appeals has already rejected Donald Trump's efforts to have uh, immunity, back to immunity, to, to declare that he has immunity from any kind of civil case because they say that, first of all, you were too late. You filed your immunity defense three years into the case. That's about two and a half years too late. And that's because of Alina Haba and sent him packing. But even underlying that based on some recent decisions, including the Blossing Game case down in the District of Columbia, it is unlikely that Donald Trump would be able to argue that in defaming E. Jean Carroll as mercilessly as he did, it somehow fell within the inner perimeter of his official duties as president in order for him to uh, be immunized. So let's put that aside because the Second, uh, the second Circuit Court of Appeals, the highest court uh, for appellate work in New York Federal, has already told Donald Trump, you've lost on appeal and we're not staying the case and you go to trial on January the 16th. So just keeping track of things, the 5th of January, he's got to fully brief the civil fraud case. The 11th of January, closing argument in the civil fraud case against um, Trump and all of his companies. He goes to trial on the 16th of January. He's in oral argument about immunity, right, to have the case dismissed, the indictment dismissed against them between the 8th and the 12th of January, and then the Supreme Court of the United States has to decide, I'm already breathless, the Supreme <laughs> Court of the United States has to decide, probably likely at the back end of January, maybe the beginning of February, uh, on their own appeal decision whether Donald Trump has immunity from criminal prosecution because he used to be the President of the United States. Whew, now that's January. And I'm a lawyer, and I'm going to tell you how difficult for a sh already struggling team of lawyers for Donald Trump. This is not the all-star game of lawyers. I'm sorry to comment on other lawyers this way. But these are people that were um, are outmatched, outwitted, outresourced, outthought, outprepared at every, at every angle by whoever they're up against, the New York Attorney General and the 30 lawyers at the New York Attorney General plus investigators and staff outmatched. Jack Smith 
and the special counsel's team and the several hundred people that are devoted to that prosecution, including 15 or 20 line prosecutors working for Jack Smith. You have, you have that there, right? Then you've got Robbie Kaplan, lawyer extraordinaire, friend of the show, been on our podcast before, who's handling many cases against Donald Trump uh, in one way or the other, but is handling the E. Jean Carroll case, and she already beat him once, and Robbie Kaplan has a stellar track record of unbroken victories against Donald Trump and at uh, major high-stakes cases. So you've got Robbie Kaplan's team. Any one of these teams against Donald Trump's Chris Keiss in his two-man or two-person law firm, you know, Todd Blanche, who we haven't really seen in a long time, and his two-person law firm. I'm not being cruel. I'm being, <laughs> I'm being accurate. Um, Alina Haba and her four-person shop out in Jersey off the 19th hole of the uh, Trump golf course. Okay. I mean, these are the people. John Lauro and his four-person law firm down in Florida. I mean, to say that they are being stretched thin would be an understatement and an insult to thinness. I mean, this is, I mean, I don't, I, I, I can't tip my hat to them. I just, I'm amazed that they are able to even keep up at all. I mean, they're always coming in last in every race against the resources that I just identified. The fact they even show up every day is, is amazing to me and take the punishment they take. And that's why we're seeing, you know, ridiculous motions being filed with ill, <laughs> ill, you know, wrongly analyzed and, and pro improperly researched. It's because, you know, how many people can they throw on this? Sure, all the Trump lawyers around that aren't indicted, that aren't disbarred, that still have a law license mm -hmm. are, uh, are doing research for them, I guess, mm -hmm. you know? But that's the matchup. So it's not just dates on a calendar, right? The ones I've talked about here, the, the January 5, January 11, January 8, January 12, January 16, January 30. It's not just those dates. It's the people behind those dates and the judges behind those dates, right? You've got Judge Angoron, who Donald Trump has been attacking mercilessly, and his staff and his, and, and his wife and everybody else leading to doxing and violent rhetoric. Judge Angoron, who's focused like a laser beam on making yeah. the civil fraud decision. He's already ruled once that um, Donald Trump committed persistence. too brave. It's too brave. Dash dash are too cowardly to take on. Let's see, and go on. against terroristic acts against him inciting violence violence Semicolon. So, 
and just close. The prosecutors, basically everybody, including election workers. Okay, Judge and Goron. Against him. No. Is there any way we can file something about calling for pretrial incarceration? Against Judge Ungoron? And going basically calling on, uh, basically, basically, Okay, so I said. <sighs> Judge Ngoron is a brave, maybe too cowardly. To stand up is is too brave, maybe too cowardly. To stand up for himself against Diaper Donald and citing violence against him. By legal definition, that is an act of domestic terrorism, no? So, Michael, is there any way we can file something about calling for his pretrial incarceration based on his domestic terroristic acts against Judge Ngoron? How can we demand they enforce the law and stop this preferential treatment? It is, and his clerk and their other judges and families and prosecutors and basically everybody, including the election workers. Can MTN please file brief on behalf of those of us who are concerned for Judge and Goran's and everybody else's safety? So, Michael, is there any way we can file something calling for his pretrial incarceration based on his grounds?
prior uh, terroristic acts against Judge Judge Ngoron. How can we demand they enforce the law and stop this preferential treatment and and um, his and the clerk and other judges. Some excellent points. I think it has a lot of humanity in it. It's a good job, Chista. According to my um, astrological charts, astronomical charts, that was done for me. Um, When I was 16, that I'm a humanitarian. I'm. I was going to say I'm going to be a humanitarian, but no. Said so according to that chart, she was great. By the way, I almost just remembered her name too. Susan. I thought it was Susan. <clears throat> so yeah, I'm a humanitarian in my. Uh, You know, starting from like 34, I became a humanitarian, which kind of fits in. I, I retired. I had a retirement party um, at age 27 and just became, uh, just vowed to become a volunteer, just volunteer from now on, you know, working for the man. It's a real bummer, so... Although I, I, I did have some good times and it was it like temp agencies. I, I'd use temp agencies when I moved to Washington, D.C. area. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, yeah. So humanitarian is my life's path. New Year of Doom. Okay, so I'm going to take a, um, help me get on the ballot. Post on X. Writer's touch. MS Popak. Happy near my friends. Marcellus. Marcellus Brett um, Glenn Kirshner Awesome Thank you guys man I'm going to thank them all right now I'm going to thank you all right now Bye Karen
I'm gonna find Karen Agnifilo. Agnifilo. My Twitter. It never fucking comes up. I spelled that. I was about to see if spelled it right through Steph. I did. Actually. They don't want me to bond with Karen. <clears throat> she would be my. She'd be my protege. Karen Friedman. Friedman. Agnifilo. Does it come up in there? No. Jeez. Fucking like in stealth mode and something. Make me feel low. It was KFA Law. Shit, it still doesn't come up. Oh, KFA. Jeez. Unless she, uh, she made it so I can't tag her. That's possible. Um, Cafe Legal. Oh, there she is. Cafe Legal. That's what it is. Okay. Gotta get it fucking exact. Uh, Mary Trump. Midas Touch. Got the Midas Touch. Uh, Midas Mural. Mirai. Where's that? Midas Mighty. OG. Midas CJ. Who else is lovely? Um, college Dems. Young Dems. Women's March. Thanks for your service this year, folks. Um, Glenn Kirshner, uh, did I do Michael Cohen? Yeah, Michael Cohen. Who else is awesome on Twitter? Who else has been Rip Raskin? And AOC and fucking Jasmine Rep. AOC. And, uh, Bernie's been pretty awesome, too. Uh, Rep, but Rep Raskin, for sure, she's the one, thank you, thank you for calling out for Clarence Thomas to recuse himself, shit, that motherfucker, all six of them, man, he'd be gone if I were president, light under oath, if I were Biden, I'm, I'm always telling them that on Twitter, on, uh, on social media too, um, Rep Raskin, Jasmine, Jasmine, Rep Jasmine, 
fucking awesome lady tron and uh and um um oh, cory uh cory bush and uh oh that's zero I was going to say Katie Porter. Hi, people. <sighs> Ron Filipowski. Occupied Democrats. Mm, politics go. Politics go. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Brian Tyler Cohen. No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen. Who else? Podcast. Um, Legally F. Twitter, legal AF. Oh my god, they are. Okay. Politics, 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 go. Okay. Politics go. <laughs> New Year of Doom. Three step for press. Well, Christopher Sheriff too. Okay. I'm gonna tag my stuff on here. I get a lot of uh, followers. Guardian, Comedy, Rolling Stone, Comedy Central, Young Democrats of America, Comedy Central Latino America, Daily Show, Tucson What's Up, Crazy Democrat Memes, 
Lightest Touch fan, College Democrats of America, Christian Democrats of America, Variety Show, Christian Democratic Movement, Arizona Politics, Occupy Democrats, Followers. See on my pod. Tesla technology. Tesla technology on Gaia. Uh, nice muddy. Okay, so then I'm gonna select all. Update. Uh, they may contact you by adding a call now. Fuck no. <sighs> Thanks for your service this year, and let it all set us set. May its all truth set us free. May we find we'll the truth in the president us free. in order for him to uh, be immunized. So let's put that aside because the second uh, the second circuit court of appeals, the highest court uh, for appellate work in New York federal, has already told Donald Trump, "You've lost on appeal, and we're not staying the case, and you go to trial on January the 16th." So just keeping track of things, the 5th of January, he's got to fully brief the civil fraud case. The 11th of January, closing argument in the civil fraud case against... You guys are still there, Rwanda. That's wonderful. That's just wonderful. Case ...against um, Trump and all of his companies. He goes to trial on the 16th of January. He's in oral argument about immunity, right? to have the case dismissed, the indictment dismissed against them between the 8th and the 12th of January, and then the Supreme Court of the United States has to decide, I'm already breathless, the Supreme Court of the United States has to decide, probably likely at the back end of January, maybe the beginning of February, uh, on their own appeal decision whether Donald Trump has immunity from criminal prosecution because he used to be the President of the United States. Now that's January. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm a lawyer, and I'm going to tell you how difficult for a sh- already struggling team of lawyers for Donald Trump. This is not the all-star game of lawyers. I'm sorry to comment <laughs> on other lawyers this way. But these are people that were um, 
are outmatched, outwitted, outresourced, outthought, outprepared at every at every angle by whoever they're up against. The New York Attorney General and the thirty lawyers at the New York Attorney General plus investigators and staff. Outmatched. Jack Smith and the special counsel's team, and the several hundred people that are devoted to that prosecution, including 15 or 20 line prosecutors working for Jack Smith. This is my you Super have, Bowl. You have that there, right? <laughs> then you've got Robbie Kaplan, lawyer extraordinaire, friend of the show. We have here the Justice Department, best of the best, pitted against the worst of the worst in Diaper Don's lawyer, so-called lawyer team. <sighs> this is my Super Bowl. Here we have popcorn. <laughs> this is my Super Bowl. Now I know how college dudes feel. Here we have the Justice Department pitching, pitting the best. Pitting the, of the best, of, the best of the best against the worst of the worst in Diaper Don's so-called lawyer team. <laughs> Popcorn. Open on our podcast before who's handling many cases against Donald Trump uh, in one way or the other, but is handling the E. Jean Carroll case, and she already beat him once. And Robbie Kaplan has a stellar track record of unbroken victories against Donald Trump and at uh, major high-stakes cases. So you've got Robbie Kaplan's team. Any one of these teams against Donald Trump's Chris Keis and his two-man or two-person law firm you know, Todd Blanche, who we haven't really seen in a long time, and his two-person law firm. I'm not being cruel. I'm being, <laughs> I'm being accurate. Um, Alina Haba and her four-person shop out in Jersey off the 19th hole of the uh, Trump golf course. Okay. I mean, these are the people. John Lauro and his four-person law firm down in Florida. I mean, to say that they are being stretched thin would be an understatement and an insult to thinness. I mean, this is, I mean, I don't, I, I, I can't tip my hat to them. I just, I'm amazed that they are able to even keep up at all. I mean, they're always coming in last in every race against the resources that I just identified. The fact they even show up every day is is amazing to me and take the punishment they take. And that's why we're seeing, you know, ridiculous motions being filed with ill 
ill, uh, you know, wrongly analyzed and, and pro improperly researched. It's because, you know, how many people can they throw on this? Sure, all the Trump lawyers around that aren't indicted, that aren't disbarred, that still have a law license are, uh, are doing research for them, I guess, you know? But that's the matchup. So it's not just dates on a calendar, right? The ones I've talked about here, the, the January 5, January 11, January 8, January 12, January 16, January 30. It's not just those dates. It's the people behind those dates and the judges behind those dates, right? You've got Judge Angoron, who Donald Trump has been attacking mercilessly, and his staff and his, and, and his wife and everybody else leading to doxing and violent rhetoric. Judge Angoron, who's focused like a laser beam on making the civil fraud decision. He's already ruled once that um, Donald Trump committed persistent fraud with his companies. He's already installed a financial monitor in the form of a former federal judge for the last year and a half to oversee those, those uh, businesses because of the persistent fraud. Now he's going to rule on five more counts of persistent fraud and the remedy. What do you do about it? That's Judge Engoron and all of his staff against Donald Trump, if you will, or at least in favor of justice. You got Judge Chutkin down in the District of Columbia, her case has stayed, but her her work, her opinions live on in the appellate process. You got Judge Pan and Judge uh, Childs, at least in the three-judge panel of the D.C. Court of Appeals, both of which have heard many Jan 6 cases already and I'm sure have formed opinions. You've got the United States Supreme Court and all of its staff and personnel, right? And led, hopefully, by John Roberts to the right conclusion. Uh, and you've got uh, Judge Kaplan, who's already issued ruling after ruling after ruling against Donald Trump because of the scripts of Alina Haba that, have, that live on to this moment. So that's the whole sort of cast of characters against which you've got John Loro and a couple of people, Chris Keiss and a couple of people, Todd Blanche and a couple of people. Alina Haba and a couple of people. I mean, I've worked in, in 2,000 lawyer firms, 2,000 lawyer firms <laughs> with 2,000 support staff. They would be hard-pressed to represent a client in all of the things I just said. They would do it. They'd do it masterfully with people you know, working round the clock. I can't tell you how many 24-hour days I put in as a young associate at one of my at one of the major firms in New York when I started my career. That's why they have a shower and a cot in these big firms for people to sleep for a couple hours and get back to writing the briefs. They would be hard-pressed but would do a masterful job, my old firm, if they had a client that had all these matters. This group, this virtual law firm that's been shotgun thrown together by Donald Trump, no way. And that's why we're able to criticize their lawyering, their legal work, and why it's so poor and intellectually, you know, intellectually barren is because you see this mismatch that Donald Trump has created because nobody wants to represent Donald Trump. No legitimate law firm is representing Donald Trump. Let me say it again. No legitimate law firm is representing Donald Trump. And we have hundreds and hundreds thousand legitimate law firms you know the, the american lawyer ranks law firms every year you know they call it the top 200 the am law 200 the am law 50 the am law 10 
I've worked in firms that are in the AM Law 3, top three in the, in the country, top 10, top 50, <laughs> right? These are firms that have 1,000 lawyers plus, <laughs> at least 700 lawyers plus to even get into the and top 200. Touches, touch, I just identified for you a law firm ball. effectively for Donald Trump that's about 14 people. Okay, so listen, what? you know, God love them, but this isn't working. And the reason for the it's about 14 people, at least 700 lawyers plus to even in the, in the country, top 10, top 50. Right. These are firms that have a thousand lawyers plus at least 700 lawyers plus to even get into the top 200. I just identified for you a law firm effectively for Donald Trump that's about 14 people. Okay? So, listen, you know, God love them, but this isn't working. And the reason for this mismatch is nobody would touch Donald Trump with a 10-foot pole. So, listen, you know, God love them, but this isn't working. And the reason for this mismatch is nobody would touch Donald Trump with a 10-foot pole. We'll continue to track. That was January. Now that I've mapped it out, we got to follow it. We got to analyze it, deep dive it, drill awesome. down on it. We only do that one place, right here. Listen to this. Mm, well, I better start a new one. <laughs>